0: You're listening to In-Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hey, hey, hey. hey what's,
1: Hello, brother, what's up, man? Brother, This is hey, a big man. it. Right man, what's your name? <laughs> mother, there's two.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 40 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at Marvel Comics' The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, we start another calendar year in The Nom with The Nom number 36 in January of 1969. Our song, however, is from a couple of years later. It's What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which also happens to be the title of this issue. What's Going On was the title track to the 1971 album of the same name. The songs written by Al Cleveland after his friend, four top singer, Ronaldo Obie Benson, witnessed. Bloody Thursday, a May 15, 1969 anti-war protest that ended in police brutality. He gave the song to Gay, who had hits in the late 1960s with songs such as I Heard It Through the Grapevine, and Gay added some of his own touches to it, being inspired by the 1965 Watts riots in Los Angeles, as well as the experiences of his brother Frankie, who had been in Vietnam for three years. The song hit number one on the Billboard Soul Charts, peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, and was listed as number four on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Our issue came out on July 25, 1989, with a November 1989 cover date. The cover by Wayne Van Zant shows Williams, Scott Jones, and Bacon on the ground. One of them is wounded, and Williams is screaming at a nearby medical chapter, Get back here, white boy! Doug Murray is our writer, Wayne Van Sant is the artist, Phil Felix is the letterer colorist, Don Daly is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is your editor-in-chief. We open at the Paris peace talks. The North Vietnamese representative is saying they will not compromise, and they storm out. The Americans comment that it's no use, and obviously the Vietnamese are waiting for Nixon to take office to see what he'll do, saying, Waiting while men die, killed while we sit here and argue about the shape of a table. It is January of 1969, and the men of the 23rd Infantry start a patrol along the Cambodian border. Williams and Scott complain that they have to hump it through the jungle, while choppers just fly overhead. Scott wonders if the pilots are white, and Williams insists that of course they are. The chopper approaches the target area, but then is hit by a Soviet-made surface-to-air missile. The boys of the 23rd see it from the ground, and ICE tells Daniels to get the battalion on the phone. A long conversation later, they receive word that they're supposed to stay away from it because the Cambodians claim that it was over their territory and that they shot it down. Pig doesn't get it because they saw it and they knew it was inside the border. Ice says that doesn't matter because Battalion says to forget it. As they move out, Williams compl- insists that Whitey brass don't care about no brothers. And Scott replies, but "I thought you said the pilot was white." Hours later, as the platoon prepares for the night, they get their guard duty assignments and Pig studies for his GED test, which he really wants to pass in order to make officer grade. Ice and Miller move off for the first guard shift, and Williams and his guys complain that the white guys take the early guard shifts while they get stuck with the dawn shift. As the long night winds down, Callahan and Daniels wait for their relief, and we see that Scott and Williams are both asleep. Williams wakes them up, and they tell them to cool it. He says that he's not taking their guard shift and grabs Williams by the shirt. Williams punches him in the nose and Daniels and he start punching one another. Daniels tells him that he's sick of his attitude that nobody really cares about what color any of them are because they're in the unit together and they have to pull their share just as much as anybody else. Daniels yells at him to get up and get on guard duty. While he does, Scott pulls a knife on Daniels. But as he does that, Miller picks up his M16, takes the gun off safety and points it at Scott. Just then, Pig arrives and wants to know what's going on. Daniel says he's having a little trouble getting the next watch ready, and just as Pig says, Don't give me that! Do you know how much noise Scott has shot in the leg? The guys turn their attention to the jungle and start firing. Ice arrives and they start pouring it on. Jones tells him that Scott will be okay if they can get him out of there. Pig's homework goes flying in the midst of a firefight. Some time later, as false dawn lights the sky in the clearing, Pig wants to know where their cover fire is coming in, and Ice says there's some bust-up around Saigon keeping it away, So battalions trying to scare up some artillery fire. They're still getting shot at, and Scott's bleeding is getting worse. Ice gets several people together and tells them that they have to get Scott out of there. Jones will handle Scott, Williams and Daniels will cover them, and Martini will go along and pick a landing zone while the rest of them make enough noise to mask the move. They move out and make it about 700 yards. Daniels calls in the radio and Jones says that Scott is getting worse. Meanwhile, back at the bivouac area, things get quiet and Ice says that maybe the VC have bugged out. He tells them to move out quickly. At the emergency LZ, Martini spots the choppers as they fly over the LZ. Ice and the rest of the platoon catch up to the others. Martini pops red smoke and they get Scott over the area where the chopper will land. It's just then when the chopper pilot spots a surface-to-air missile and bugs out, leaving the guys stranded. Ice tells Williams to stop crying about it and make tracks. Williams says, And then what, whitey? To which Ice replies, Then we call in another evac. Just then, there's a grenade. Daniels tries to get it out of the way, but is blown back, and Ice has him. The guys start firing and take out some V.C. who have been following them before getting out of there. Twenty frantic minutes later, and half a click away, Ice is calling in a dust-off while Pig bandages Daniels' wound. Scott's bleeding badly. This time, the choppers come. They pop white smoke, and they get out of there. Jones and Scott get onto one chopper while Williams and Bacon are in another. Williams says, I'm going to get that honky pilot. That mother ran out on us. I'm going to find his pacey white hide and wax him, wax him good. Later, as the chopper approaches their operational base, Williams spots their earlier chopper and marches over there while Bacon tells him that maybe he should calm down because they could get into trouble. Williams insists that it's the white boy who's in trouble and then meets Torrance, the chopper pilot, who is Black. You know what this reminds me of? The story Judgment Day, which was in Weird Fantasy number 18 and is published by EC Comics. It's that famous story about civil rights and prejudice among a group of alien robots that an astronaut encounters. And on the last page, we see that the astronaut in question is actually black. Granted, this doesn't have the impact that the science fiction story does. And it serves more to be an ironic kick in the pants to someone like Williams, who has always been hostile. But that is what I was reminded of, at least on some level. The story is, well, I'm of two minds here. First, this is definitely going to happen because the conflict between Williams and Daniels had come to, a, had to come to a head sometime. But on the other hand, Williams is just so stereotypically the angry black guy. I mean, maybe this was Murray's point because there are quite a number of other black characters, mainly Pig, who are not as angry or seem to be as focused on everyone's race as Williams is. So it borders on a cartoonish, cliche, racial tension story. And I think it could have been, well, I think that it could have been that had it not been for Van Zandt's art and the way he and Murray paced the story, integrating the action with the arguing and showing the audience just how dangerous the situation was getting. This is the first time we've seen Wayne Van Zandt ink his own work, and at least at least for a while, anyway. There are times where it's a little less detailed than what Jeff Isherwood was inking it, but overall, it's still very good, and Van Zandt manages to capture both the tension between the troops and the tension that results from the action. I will say that the get-back-here-white-boy on the cover is a little silly, even if the cover drawing is pretty good. There was something I always found off about this cover though and in my writing my notes from the episode I realized that it was the fact that this is the first time we've seen the book's title The Nom not outlined in another color. The background color is yellow and the title is simply black against that yellow. It's a small thing probably something only I notice but I'm a yearbook advisor, and looking at fonts all damn day, you tend to notice these things in your own regular life. It's why they get very angry, violently angry, when someone gives me something with Comic Sans. You do not give me the devil's font. You find something else. Anyway, solid issue. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with historical context letters and ads. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened
1: the short box showcase but then again may have about a father and daughter i'm professor Allen. and i'm emily who came from ohio and talked about comics walking dead tintin black lightning white tiger it tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked let's put it this way shogun warriors wasn't going to win any eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed this is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this U- of how they spoke at length. This Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Or search in iTunes for relatively geeky or short box showcase. And remember, we're not experts, we're just family.
0: January 1969 did mark the beginning of the Paris peace talks, which I detailed a few episodes ago. Nixon is inaugurated on January 20th, And on January 22nd, Operation Dewey Canyon, which is the last major United States Marine operation in the Vietnam War, commences. Operation Dewey Canyon ran until March 18th and involved a a sweep of the North Vietnamese Army or NVA-dominated A. Shaw Valley by the 9th Marine Regiment, reinforced by elements of the 3rd Marine Regiment. It's considered a tactical success, but it did not stop the flow of material and troops from North Vietnam into South Vietnam. The Wikipedia page unfortunately is full of a lack of citation warnings, so not really sure how accurate that is, but the site HistoryNet has a detailed page in the operation, basically saying that the objective was the cu- was to cut off the supply lines that were running through Laos, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, basically, probably in the same way that the 23rd's mission is to patrol the Cambodian border, which is what they're doing. The Marines in the 9th Regiment wound up fighting both the NVA and the weather, and they did go into Laos, which was reported by the New York Times. In response to the reports about the incursion into Laos, U.S. Secretary of Defense Melvin Laird said, I would not confirm that they were there now but i would certainly say that there have been operations in which it has been necessary in order to protect american fighting forces that that border being a very indefinite border it may have been transgressed by american forces in carrying out the responsibility in other words they can neither confirm nor deny that they went into laos yeah they may have crossed the border because the border is not clearly marked Mm. Otherwise, January 1969 is a quiet month. Well, that's not a quiet occurrence. I mean, that's a major operation, but there wasn't anything else of, of, of historical significance in the Vietnam War going on at this time. But two important musical events happened. First, Led Zeppelin releases their first album. And second, the Beatles performed their famous last live performance, a, con- a concert on top of the Apple Records building in London while uh, recording the album Let It Be which is i believe in the film let it be as well but that movie has not been released on dvd there's probably vhs copies floating out somewhere but that's a it's, it's kind of the lost beatles film uh and, and i'm there's a huge history if you if you, if you want to read something interesting about the beatles go read um I mean, the Wikipedia pages alone about the film, the, the album Let It Be, and then Abbey Road as well, or, or just reading anything about that period, about 68, 69, 70, the kind of the end of the Beatles, the breakup, is it, really, really fascinating. I know it's the breakup of the band and everything. It's very sad, but um, it's a, it, like I said, it's a very, very fascinating read, especially the recording sessions for Let It Be and Abbey Road. All right, Incoming this month. Incoming this month is on the back cover. I mean, they kind of... They got, they got all the story in, and they put the letter column on the back cover, which is weird. Evan Gauntner uh, of Hudson, Ohio says, I'm writing this on Memorial Day, holding my dad's old dog tags in my hand, watching the parades. I thought about the Nam the comic in the war. I think that the Nam is great, the finest comic around. In case you didn't guess, my dad served time in country. My only qu- question to quote Crosby, Stills, Nash, who won? Doug says, who won? I'm, I sure don't know, only... One thing I was sure of nobody wins wars. This was particularly true in the NAM. Give my best to your dad from another brother, Doug. Steve Irwin writes of Hearst, Texas Dear Don Deli, my wife discovered the enclosed article in the, on the Vietnam Women's Memorial in Family Circle. I forwarded it to the attention of the NAM. Maybe some of your readers would like to donate to aid the construction of the Vietnam Women's Memorial in Washington, D.C., and there's an address for that. Uh, The Vietnam Women's Memorial is there. It is a statue of uh, nurses helping out a wounded soldier located near the wall. It's a gorgeous statue uh, and and, and a very, very powerful, powerful illustration. Um, It's it's worth checking out if you're ever in Washington, D.C. Assuming that Nam runs at the rate of one issue for every month of the U.S. involvement in the war, the estimated final issue would be 96. Maybe it would be better to go on to 100 with 97 nights to 99 following our favorite characters in the decades after the U.S. withdrawal and 100 is a giant size special, perhaps covering the dedication of the National Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. How about it? Doug says, The 97 to 100 idea sounds good to me. How about the rest of the readers? Any suggestions? I've... Tried to figure out whether or not Steve Irwin here is the same Steve Irwin who was a penciler, especially in the late 80s and early 1990s and still works as a comic book artist. Because I recognize the name from the comic book Deathstroke the Terminator from the early 1990s because I have the entire run of that series. I I was an early subscriber and a big fan of it. Um, I found the guy's email address through like a DeviantArt or one of those things and sent him an email, but I never heard back. I might try to find this out because I'm curious. It's always cool to see somebody of note that you know or know of actually in, in something like this. So if I find something out, I will let you know. Uh, next letter is from R.O. Slaughter of Roxboro, North Carolina. He says that he's, an, he's a non-vet, a Navy vet. He served in the USS Constellation from 68 to 69. Um, He says, in in issue number 19, you showed a little about carrier activity. Marines did fly off the decks, but so did Navy pilots. He says, lives were lost in the carriers. Cables broke, killing anyone in reach. Men were sucked into jet intakes. Pilots asked risked receiving a dead cat or a catapult. When that happened, the aircraft plunged down in front of the ship and were run over. If they didn't manage to get afterburners and skirt the deck. Fires... Bombs, rockets, all kinds of dangers threatened. Lives were lost. Guys in the carriers weren't running in the bush. They were still in danger. The men in the, of the Tonkin Gulf Yacht Club do get and have gotten hard looks and put downs. Could you help us? Do a story on the daily routine of a carrier from the guys in the front of the boilers to the AOs and the deck apes and the green shirts. Catapult launch people. A lot of vets would love to see it uh doug says although the nom was always designed as a story of the grunts doing an aircraft carrier story might be interesting change of pace how do you other readers feel about it if you want it you got it and then tom may of moreno valley california just writes in to say how much he thinks how much he likes this series and how realistic he thinks it is nom notes this time around okay troops here's the new stuff a couple of older words for this trip "'Birdmen, aviators, flyboys, the guys who stay on their planes and helicopters. "'Condolence Award, a cash award to the South Vietnamese government "'paid to wounded civilians or dead civilians' families. "'Delta Deltas, donut dollies, the women behind the lines who tried to make things bearable.' Diddy Mao, leave Bug out right away it's as fast as possible. Fugazi, crazy, is also a punk band from Arlington. Um, Hump, roam through the boonies with the usual 50 or so pounds of rucksack and weapons. Click is a kilometer and LZ is a landing zone. And the bottom of the page, the bottom quarter of the page, is a shot of a group of soldiers. I think it's from it's from the, the Bob Hope issue. That, that would have been the last issue. Um, and he, it says, for the mystery, over for the first time ever. Here's the definitive guide to some of our guys in the green. And you see all the different guys in this crowd shot. And they're all numbered. Everybody: Cruz, Ice, Pig, Jones, Bacon, William, Scott, Miller, Martini, Mayo, Callahan, and Daniels. So I'd hate to say it, but I think Clark's not really going to be around very much unless they need to, to find him for another story. Maybe he'll be coming back. Ads this month. We've got the same Tengen ad. We have uh, bullpen bulletins is from the front. Uh, Stan Lee is talking about how he's been going to conventions, and then he's saying, well, conventions aren't just for kids. There was a big push in this. Comics aren't just for kids thing in the very late 80s. I, maybe it was because the collector's speculation market was getting so huge. The uh, Something about the Mighty Marvel T-Shirt Swap-A-Thon and Fabian Nichieza, something about T-Shirt Contest and... Apparently, Renee Witterstater had a rendition of I'm a Little Teapot. Um, I met her in Baltimore last year when I was at the Baltimore Comic-Con and met Michael Golden, and she's very, very nice. Um, and she's, she actually has a doctorate. She's a doctorate in, uh, I want to say she was it was neuroscience, which is really cool. So uh, that was very, very nice. She's a very, very nice woman. Um, Editor-in-Chief Tom DeFalco apparently knocked an apple off of, off of Mark Grunewald's head with a rubber, rubber Frisbee. Howard Mackey had belly button lint. Harvey Eisenstein had an, had a great imitation of traffic manager, Virginia Ramita, And, and, uh, then they had pizza. Carl Potts got married and our profile is of Margaret Clark, who is the editor on Akira, alien Legion, Havoc and Wolverine elsewhere. Prince star Wars. Star Wars was canceled like three years ago. Uh, Mobius's Blueberry Graphic Novels and Electra, Act of Love. There is a Capcom ad for Mega Man 2 and Strider. Oh, Mega Man 2. I love Mega Man 2. Probably because Mega Man 2 is one of the only games that I could beat in one guy. Oh, I love that game. I love the end credit sequence. It was just so cool. Um, Just with him walking... Down the street and the seasons changing and then they roll the credits, and I just like really, really like the music. I just that was just a fun, fun game. Uh we have the series catalog ad we've had a couple times now. Ooh, now we have Acclaim presents Kid Remote in the Power to Move. The kid was at the end, and, and it's a comic, so the kid's standing in his room and he's and, and he's holding the wired controller. The kid was at the end of his rope and he's thinking stuck in a rut. Went out of the blue, kaboom! And he's holding uh, a remote control controller. Awesome, the acclaim remote for Nintendo. Now the kid can put the moves on the WWF Superstars, and there's like the hands of the WWF Superstars coming out of the television, like trying to grab him. And and then on the next panel, the feet are like in the ring; they're comically huge. And he says, "What hit me?" And the kid's saying, "The acclaim remote." When suddenly, Airwolf encounters the enemy. And the kid's saying, Eat some rapid fire. Later, battling with Iron Sword, the remote's 30-foot range, keeps the kid out of danger. Playing with Nintendo will never be the same. Thanks to the power to move. To be continued. Look and feel you already know. No messy wires. Rapid fire for higher scores. Accurate up to 30 feet. This is crap. I had these. They never worked. You attached a like station to the... The, the, you put like you plugged the um, a, like a, a sensor into the Nintendo, like where you would normally plug the controllers, and then you had then you had the controllers, and they were supposed to work. This thing never worked. We'd be like, like ah, uh, it was it was it was nuts. And why is this to be continued? What could possibly happen? In the next installment of this, does the, does, does the enemy get the remote and start, like, you know, eviscerating the kid and, and all his parents? and Like, you know, the, the, the video games take over and they have to call in, like, Captain Anne or something? I don't get it, but this is terrible, terrible, terrible false advertising. Although it kind of makes me miss my Nintendo Max controller, the one with the turbo button. Anyway, another Capcom ad, this time for Bionic Commando, a game that I never played. Star Trek V The Final Frontier Limited Edition Collectible Figures from the San Francisco Mint. I wonder if these are worth any money, actually, because I can't imagine anybody actually bought these. This movie is horrible. And I saw this in the theater. I saw this in the theater on June 23rd, 1989, which was my 12th birthday. It was also the premiere of the movie Batman. This is something I will never live down. I want to see Star Trek 5 instead of going to see Batman because I'm an idiot. We have uh, the Science Fiction Book Club Beyond Time, Beyond Dreams, Beyond Reality. You can take any five books for a dollar plus a free tote bag. Hmm, interesting. We have a Nightmare on Elm Street magazine written by Steve Gerber monthly for Marvel. Freddy Krueger in all his glory. The subscription ad is a summer saving safari with Cap surfing on the shield. And on the back page we have the same Konami ad that we had for the last couple of issues. So that is about it. Thank you very much for coming out this time. Uh, Next time around I'll be back with issue 37 and until then, take care. Thanks for listening. Everybody
1: thinks
0: You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the De Manza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com want to support this and the other two true freaks podcasts go to two true com and click the amazon.com link it costs you no extra money but really helps us all out thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of the Na.